Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1942, in the cold desert of a small border town of Texas, a group of kind are kidnapped and mass embraced by members of the fanatical sect, the Sabbat. Out of this group, only a handful survived, and through rituals and mentorship, they became the pack known as the Pale Riders. Representing the Sword of Cain, they are wielded by a mentor to cut deep wounds within the heartland of Mexico to the enemies of the Sabbat. Wars on Fire is a vampire that masquerades Sabbat Chronicle that follows the Pale Riders pack that consists of Mitch, a Lazampa played by Adam, Coyote, a Ravenous anti-tribute played by Alex, Eldrick, a Caitiff played by David, Jasper, a Bruja anti-tribute played by Joaquin, Cora, a Shimizi played by Slavic, and Richard, a Venture anti-tribute played by Tillman. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM or on Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. Oh, and by the way, we have a new player with us, Tillman. Say hi. He's going to play a character that's going to be introduced uh, later. But for now, the Pale Rider Pack, they were currently at the Black Rooster, kind of in a, in a back area. What they were doing is they had worked out a deal with Trevor Moreno, who was the Anarch leader there, about if they took out Ramon Pissanov, who was the younger brother of Marcus Pissanov, he would tell them the location where uh, some of the Camarilla from El Paso were hiding this this elder kindred, it's Zilli, uh, Aztec kindred that that basically Vidar had wanted them to to, to wipe out. It's it's Zilli is uh, Talekyu. I can't pronounce these words. Pretty Tasik. much, what, yeah. There we go, Tasik, which is like pretty much like a, some think a bloodline of Setites. No one's quite sure, but they're pretty much an Aztec bloodline of vampires who, who ruled for the longest time until the Camarilla started wiping them out, and then the Sabbat actually, who had an alliance with them, started to wipe them out. So, all right. So they basically the pack was there. They went in to speak to Ramon, and they actually ended up. Combat actually ended up happening to where they destroyed him and Korra uh, actually diabolized him. I'm going to kind of go over the combat real quick so we can refresh our memories. And, and, and in all reality, too, like, like the combat was very, very, like, primal. It wasn't like, you know, showboating vampire powers. For the most part, it was just very, like, pure chaos and, and destruction and almost the way that you would see bar fights, I guess. If you ever see a bar fight, that's how it came across. Yeah, bar brawl, that's what it was like. Pretty much uh, the group went in there to confront uh, Ramon. He could feel the tension there, and Eldrick Tide took his cane and busted out this overhead light that kind of dimmed the room darker than it was before when as soon as that happened uh, this figure kind of appeared crouched on the desk between ramon and the group it was a grotesque it was a grotesque almost looked like well obviously it looked like a corpse it was like missing his lower jaw and it, and it had like like almost like a black ichor that was falling out of it like out of the bottom there and it had like these uh, bottomless black pits of eyes that seemed soulless and in the middle of its cadaver it looked like like a rib cage had been opened but you know you couldn't see any of the innards it was just like this the, the same darkness that that was in the eyes but it was definitely not of this existence basically mitch rushes to ramon and tries to grab him but ramon sensing that something you know was about to go down kind of shoves him out of the way and, and mitch like bumps into this desk but then Cora comes from the side and she just leaps at him and, and like 
when he when when Ramon pushed Mitch to the desk, he left the whole side of, of his of body exposed, pushed him away, and Cora came from that side and like tackled him to the ground. Mitch, while he's trying to recover, like like looks like looks towards where the, the conflict is happening, trying to help Cora out, and this figure is like within like an inch of his face. And she just at first he senses like this um like a desperation and a sadness from this figure that all of a sudden just becomes like a pure hatred as his hands go towards his throat and one of the hands burns through the side of his neck and leaves like a smoldering path in its wake and and Mitch screams out like like a, like son of a bitch you know in his like gravelly older man voice and and he feels like a a a a, a fear that he hadn't felt since like he was in the trenches during World War 1 like an instinctual like fighting to survive fear he had never felt pain like this since he had been uh you know since he had been a, a canine uh at all at first coyote was worried about cora because of his close bond with her and when he saw that she was having since he uh she was having no problems dealing with ramon he turns to look at his pack leader who he has a close relationship with and he tries to grab its wrist that burned through his hand to stop it from doing anything else and he felt his big paw just kind of went through the wrist uh which bothers coyote because he's pretty he's pretty loyal to his pack and as he reaches because he's like facing mitch's back and like the hand went through mitch's neck and he so he grabs the wrist his big paw goes through and the face goes from being in front of mitch to popping along his shoulder staring right at coyote which like just draws this instinctual fear from him where he almost has to fight back a uh, panic. So then there is this like, while this is going on, they, everyone starts feeling this eeriness in the world, uh, in the room. Like Cora starts feeling that she's like trying to hold Ramon down and Ramon's trying to get out from underneath her. She just feels like, like the little hairs that are still on the back of her neck, like start standing up like this odd sense of, of like electricity in the air, but doesn't feel comfort at all. And, and on top of the fear that Coyote is feeling right now, he starts feeling this unease, but Mitch, as he's sitting there along this desk, this hands through him, this figures right by him, he starts feeling comfort, like this almost like warm sense of uh, like almost like his mother's embrace when he was a child or being at peace. Then you guys start hearing this slithering, this like this slithering that's coming across the walls and the floor, but no one can quite make out where it's coming from until in the center of the room, as Mitch kind of looks towards the center of the room because he feels drawn that way, he sees Eldrick standing there with his arms outstretched, his cane in his hand, laughing, like chuckling in the bottom, like in the back of his throat as these tentacles are starting to like form from the shadows that are starting to slowly make their way. Two of them are starting to make their way towards Ramon and the other two are starting to make their ways towards this horrific figure that currently has caught, uh, Coyote has caught the attention of. Mitch, just with this newfound sense of like, okay, that fears out of him, knowing that he has to step up as the pack leader and also feeling this comfort of something familiar because even though Mitch doesn't have a tenebration, he's still La Zombra and he still feels like a closeness and a one to the abyss. He just like dives, doesn't care what, kind of like almost dives through this figure that's before him and just like lands on top of, of Ramon and a little bit on top of Cora and he continues to hold Ramon down and he takes his bayonet that he has that that he keeps this old war one bayonet and he just like starts stabbing the shit out of his chest like where he can even just get it to the chest or the side of the neck or wherever he can get on Ramon 
Coyote at this time is starting to like freak out because he's trying to do whatever he can to the, to this thing that is in front of him. He's like trying to like throw things at it. He's trying to like rip his hands and do it. And he can't get this thing to stop until these tentacles start coming up and swarming up to them. And, and like that even freaks out Coyote more where he like backs up even more and he sees these two large tentacles wrap into this, 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 this transparent almost figure that's in front of him. And it starts almost like trying to rip it apart. It's almost like, like, and I said in the last session, like a water puddle, when, when you're a kid and you saw one, you'd go like this with your hands and some of it would come back and some of it wouldn't, you know, and that's almost like what is going on with these tentacles where you can see this form, this apparition started to try to keep its form, but little parts of it are, are, are disintegrating and these two tentacles are lashing in front of it. And this is like literally happening like like a foot and a half in front of Coyote. He just sees these two foot in diameter tentacles just ripping through this thing and he's like, what the, it's almost like a lack of a better term, like a bad acid trip that just like popped up in front of him. But unlike chemistry, which Coyote is familiar with, this isn't an illusion. This is something that's real, but not of like of, of this plane, which even adds to that fear more. Mitch is sitting there stabbing at, at Ramon, and all of a sudden Cora just like just like seeing his blood popping out, hearing like, you know, like the blood like hit the floor, just just starting to like just being drawn into the beast, just lets the beast go in a way and just latches on to the neck of Ramon and starts like just feeding off his vite. And at first, like you, Ramon starts to struggle and then he just kind of goes like you can see he's lost in the lost in the kiss. Like basically he's just in and enraptured in, in pleasure right now as this is going on. Mitch stops for a second as he sees Cora doing this until two of the tentacles start like slowly slithering towards Ramon's head. Like one starts like trying to shove its way into his mouth and like you can hear the jawbone cracking as this is going on. And the other one like wraps around the top of his head and starts pulling. So Mitch, you hear, and everyone in the room can actually just like loud like pop, 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 pop happening as it's going on. Coyote is sitting there freaking out, seeing this thing in front of him, but also the spirit turns, the, the apparition turns around and just like dives towards the two that are on top of Ramon until all that one moment, Ramon's body just seems to admit you feel this. It seems to like almost like expand just a little bit and then just collapses within itself as there's like a heap of dust and ash that kind of just like hits the floor. And all of a sudden, like the, the spirit, you see this Coyote, the apparition, slowly disintegrates and falls apart and you are left there in this room with these shadows or with these tentacles that are kind of slithering around you see mitch kind of stop for a second get on his knees but you see cora like sits up and she just like slams back into the wall that was that was behind the desk there and you see her eyes like rolling back in her head coyote and you see this too mitch cora you start getting hit with these for lack of a better term memories almost in a way that don't belong to you of being like a little boy in South America, you, you don't quite know where, but you know that you're like, you're in this, in this kind of small, I would call it like a medium sized village that seems to have some modern trappings, but doesn't have like electricity and running water or anything to that extent. And you know that you're part of it, your family, like your father is, is kind of like this, considered this wise man in a way, but he, he deals with like funeral, uh, like he deals with funeral rites and stuff like this, a weird odd mixture of, of, of Catholicism and, and, and some of the native beliefs that, that, that used to exist in South America. 
slowly and, and then you had an older brother named Marcos who kind of like always in a way scared you, intimidated you. And you noticed eventually as growing up, and this is just a whole slew, like I'm just kind of giving you one quick shot of like traces you're picking up after you diabolized him, where basically uh, you see as time goes on, you realize that your father would always get these visits from this 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 Italian woman, this white woman who would come and and speak to him. And you you soon figured out that your your dad in a way worked for her, but you could never figure out why. And then there was like a rift in the family where your older brother somehow was given some gift that that your father thought he was going to get and which caused a, a turmoil in the family. And you actually saw your brother kill your father once in a fit of anger when he tried to confront him after receiving this gift. And then memories flash by as you get embraced by your brother because what happened basically was your brother was given the embrace by Rita Giovanni and his father wasn't and his father was expecting to. And then they, you fast forward where you travel to like Juarez, you set up your empire. And then now like a, where, you know, Rita was working with Marcos to basically saying that she was going to head to the northern United States to kind of working on expanding their power. So, and then we talked already last session, basically what, you know, like your generation, how you could potentially learn necromancy when the arc is done, if you want to, and uh, stuff like that. So, so you guys are all sitting there as this happens and you see like you, you, you guys hear this chuckling and this laughing and you got all three kind of like look in the center of the room. You see Eldrick standing there with his arms and you could tell like his eyes are just like pitch black and you can see like he's his laughter starts getting louder and louder. And he's like, you doubted my power. You doubted what I was capable of. And you just hear like his voice is booming. And all of a sudden you see the tentacles that are like slowly kind of moving aimlessly turn around and start to head towards him. And they slow and you guys are looking at this and like, like even one of them like breaks the legs off the desk that was between them and Eldrick and like in a way like it turned its trajectory and just like whack these like these legs of this desk broke off. The desk tips over and falls over on the side and you see these four tentacles start like rushing and they start like coiling amongst each other. And you see like this look of like power and, and megalomania that like is on his face slowly starts becoming like quickly, excuse me, quickly starts becoming like fear. And all of a sudden he sees these four or tentacles that are soon becoming one just like hit him in the chest and you see like he's thrown back against the wall and he's like what what is this and all of a sudden you see like the tentacles like start like surrounding him spreading amongst him until finally like they become like this like big flat like almost like liquid sheet of the abyss with only his face is like is slowly making the way up his body and his face is like slowly coming up and then all of a sudden you see it, it comes over his face and you see his form being drugged in. And as his form is being drugged in, you see another form coming out. And you see the face of Vidar coming out. And he's not like, it's not, it's just abyss though. It's not like his normal face is coming out. And you hear this like voice that's like cracking. It almost sounds like a, uh, that it's distorted in a way. And it's coming through like a cheap FM radio. But it has this eerie tinge to it. And he says... Once you are done here, come back. It is time to show that that disrespect and disobeying will not be tolerated. When you are done here, Mitchell, bring your warriors back to your haven. We must speak. And he kind of like sounds as liquid, like speak, you know, as he's like talking through. And you see like his face goes back into the abyss and then slowly it like dissipates. You three are sitting in this room now. Scenes on you guys. Go ahead. What in the sweet hell was that? I'm checking on Cora, making sure she's okay. 
Just a little headache, Coyote. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> I feel his blood singing in my veins. What What did you see? Many things. Many things. Some useful, some less so. Okay. But I will. I feel closer to Cain. What happened to that Bandejo, Eldridge? What the hell was that? Mm. We better ask Vidar, I think. Mitch is going to start searching the office to see if there's anything of value or of use. You can give me a perception, an investigation, difficulty eight. Zero successes. So yeah, you weren't able to find anything. You guys see Mitch like digging through, trying to like look at like through the ash, through this desk that like almost the lower part of it got destroyed. And, and, and he's just like trying to find stuff, but he doesn't seem to find anything. Ductus, orders. Get your shit together. We're going to go back home. I'm going to help Cora up. And, uh, and I'm gonna <laughs> Thank go you, sweetie. <laughs> I'm going to just make my way outside and light up a cigar and wait for everybody else. So as you guys open the door, and, and just so you remember, when you guys went in there, you went behind the bar, you made a mm. left, you went through this room where there's all these mattresses, you know, that used to, at one time, I think you guys saw that people like kidnapping victims were there, but there was no one in there when you went through. Right. So now when, and then you went to the office. So now you open the door as you walk through this mattress area, you see this female body fall, like, like, like by the entrance behind the bar to where, you know, you went in there, you see it fall and you see a pool of blood start going behind her. And it's the chick who's working at the desk and you see this Mexican guy. He looks to be about like six foot, Kind of skinny. He's wor- he's wearing like some chino work pants, so some work boots, and like has like a plaid shirt on, and tucked in. And he's seeing he's wiping like this this bloody blade on her shirt. And he looks at you, he looks at you three as you come through. Uh, and he says in Spanish, he's like, "Senor uh, uh, Miranda wanted me to give you the information that you guys uh, were looking for." And he's like, you, "He told me to have you guys show me that that uh, Ramon is no longer of this world." Why don't you go see for yourself? See, see, and he like he starts slowly like walking towards you guys, and he like you see him like he does this thing with his knife, and he puts it like in his knife holder that's on his side of his hip, and you can tell he's leading like a wide berth from you guys because you guys kind of look like <laughs> like there's ash all over Cora, you know what I mean, and some on Mitch and some and some blood, and so and he and there's this like smoldering like 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 on your on your neck, Mitch. It almost looks like if you were to take four fingers and like just go like this on the side of your neck. Imagine they would have left like a half inch. You know what I mean? Indention along your neck. That like that's what that's the aggravated damage that you had. The one dot or whatever, or the one yep. level. So this guy slowly like walks past you guys, and you can tell. I mean, obviously he's like fucking a dude. He's like walking into the uh into some danger being around you guys, and he slowly when like he, looks. Sorry, like, when he walks past, can I do like uh? little jerking motion towards him to try and make him flinch. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So Stop. you guys see, yeah, as you see, as he, <laughs> as he's walking by, uh, Coyote, like, just, like, takes this huge frame and just, like, moves forward all quick, and you see the guy, like, jumps two feet and, like, trips over a mattress and falls <laughs> on the mattress, and he's just, like, he's, like, straight up bug-eyed looking, like, right up at you, and he's, like, and he just kind of breathes a little bit. He's just like gets up and he like kind of, when he gets up, he kind of like gets up on the other side of the mattress to have even more room between him and Coyote. And then he goes towards the door and he looks, you see him like walking, you see a silhouette walking to the door and you see him look around and he's like, and you hear him say like some 
under his breath, like, like a Holy Mother Mary or something to that extent in Spanish, you know, as he's whistling, like, like he's kind of blown away with, with, with what he saw there. So he turns around, and he comes back to you guys and he's like, walks past you. And he's like, if you're following me and he, and as he walks by, you see him look at the chick that he, and you, as you guys see that chick, you saw it, like he slit her throat and he seemed like, and he like spits in her face and he's like, and he like turns around and, and walks to the, to the bar behind the bar. And he's like, if you would come this way, please. And he like motions towards one of the tables there. As he get to the table, you see him, he like pulls out of his pants pocket, this the old school folded maps, you know what I mean? That were folded like in a little rectangle. It looks all well beat up and everything like that. And he pulls his map out. And he kind of like lays it across the table. He gets up and he goes and he locks the door to the bar. And he's like, the others are too busy upstairs with the horrors. I'm sure they won't even notice anything's going on down here. He's like, but I don't want anyone else walking in while I'm talking to you, if that's okay. You can tell he knows kind of like what canites are. And he knows to respect their authority in a way, you know. But so he, everything that he does, he wants to get the okay from you guys, you know. He's like, is it all right that I lock the door so I can just speak to you guys? Mitchell, give him a solemn nod. And then he'll take his still bloody bayonet. He'll lick it. He kind of licks down the paper like shit. (laughs) This guy, you can hear like even like you guys alone. Like, what's your blood at, by the way? Like, all three of your blood right now. Well, I know Cora's all full. What's your humanity right now, Cora? By the way, (laughs) three. Three. Oh shit. Okay. He feels uncomfortable about uh, uncomfortable around like Cora and Coyote, and you even notice a difference now in Cora too. By the way, Mitch, that you notice in Coyote and Coyote. By the way, you feel even more of a connection. You know what I mean? Like you, an understanding since you guys are both of low humanity. But Mitch, you're like the guy, like you know, you know, like when a kid gets bullied, and and I, I went through a little bully period when I, when I was like much younger. You know, you always look for that one guy you think has some kind of sympathy. You're like, this is the guy that will stop them from beating me up too bad. Like he's looking at you like that, Mitch, until you lick that like bayonet in front of him, and he's just like, shit. You know what I mean? He gets a little, he gets a little worried. Yeah. Once it's clean, he'll slide it back into uh, its sheath. So yeah, he's he's definitely like uh, looking down at the map. Uh, he pulls out a map and you see it's uh, Juarez, like it shows Juarez and you see like the northern part it kind of has, has like El Paso but like doesn't show anything about El Paso and he takes this like this like cut off like a lead pencil, you know what I mean? Like a little one that looks like he's been sharpening with his knife and he goes to the far left and you see like once Juarez kind of uh, stops being a metropolitan area and there's desert. You see that there's like a little area there that he, that he circles there. And he's like, this is, he's like, this is a villa right here. This is a safe house that the Camarilla have had for a long time. And Trevor has uh, always turned his head and ignored that he didn't know that they would go there. But when they feel heat or when they have dignitaries to come that they don't want the attention over there and El Paso, they stay here. This is where they are guarding right now, what you are looking for. Uh, yeah, from my, uh, from Trevor's understanding, it is the sheriff of El Paso and one of his deputies who are there watching him right now. He's like, Trevor wants me to, to ensure that you are happy with, with the information that you have received and we can consider this deal done. He's kind of looking towards you guys. <laughs> Mitchell, give a just staring at his chin, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "See, all right, you have a good evening." And he gets up and he kind of like leaves the map there, and he gets up. And he sees like trying to unlock the door with shaky hands, and he locks the door. And he like before he leaves, Mitchell turned to yeah. him, "Call the deal done when this information turns out to be good." 
yes, yes. I'll let Mr. Moreno know. Yes. And he like closes the, he slams the door and runs off. Now you, you understand by the way, like the reason that this guy was so much more intimidated by you guys than Trevor and them, because you guys have fucking humanity three. And like, I don't think anyone in Trevor Moreno's gang, you know what I mean? As that low <laughs> scene that they pretty much still play human and all that jazz. So, all right. Scenes on you guys. Go ahead. Right, Mitchell grabbed the map, fold it back up, and stick it in his uh, front pocket. Who's driving? Don't we have Eldritch's car? Yeah, you guys have Eldritch's car, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to drive that. Now, do you guys want to do any talking on the on the drive back, or uh, is there a call if you guys want to do a scene, or if you guys want to, uh, we can cut to the next scene. It's all on you guys. I'll help Carl sit on the back. Yeah. yeah. And she'll sit on the back, and put her feet on, like, the front seat or something. Just to make sure, you know. <laughs> make a mess there. Mitch is going <laughs> to sort of turn inward and become very contemplative. As he drives, he's going to start rubbing the wound on his neck, grumbling to himself. You okay, Mitch? Yeah, I'll be fine. I'm saying I can fix that, you know? Nah, I'm sure it'll heal. We're going to have to come back out from my truck, by the way. We ain't leaving it here for good. I want that when we're, do- when we're done with this whole pile of shit we're in. Yeah, it's certainly more useful than this car. More practical. I'm going to turn to Cora and say, what What was that thing we were fighting? If if we come across another one of those, I want to know how to deal with it this time. I, I ain't so sure, but I'm sure Laura Vider will know. Okay. Actually, I, I, this is a good opportunity because I want to treat Diablo kind of different than just like you get generation, you can learn to discipline. I want like to treat it almost yeah. like yeah. in a way like Dune. With have you guys read Dune with like the other memories aspect of Dune reading, and like reading it right now actually. Oh, best book ever, man! My favorite book after yeah, it. Dude. Totally. So, love it. All right, so let's do this, Cora. Uh, you have a memory like a, a fleeting glimpse of like this 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 worker. Because just for you guys know from like Juarez history, there was a massive deportation that happened like in the in the third or in the twenties or the thirties that led a lot of people from a lot of Mexicans from the states forced them to go back into Mexico, but in a way it made Juarez like kind of like a booming industry town. And then you had the prohibition that happened to that and it just like all these people came to Juarez to start getting good paying jobs and the prohibition uh, to make money off of that. So with a lot of people coming from smaller Mexican towns, it leads to a lot of people missing, right? A lot of people end up missing, don't eat their families don't hear back from them ever again. And you catching these glimpses of memories of Marcos and Ramon in a way, but it's definitely more Marcos like torturing this girl i'm not going to get into details i'm going to kind of fade to black on it but doing like hours upon hours of this horrendous stuff that by the way doesn't bother you at all i'm just saying out of character you know to this to this girl who's like 18 19 years old and then but then basically like you see where marcos they're both naked and marcos just like slits her writ or her throat blood comes out and you can see them all of a sudden him and ramon like Ramon standing there, but him doing more of this chanting, and then you feel like you see where Ramon is standing there, and you kind of see him, feel him shake a little bit. He looks to the sky, and then that's the memory you have, which really to, to put two and two together, you get the sense that that's how they did this to get this spirit or whatever it was. You know what I mean? To protect Ramon there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? All right. So you know, so while while I'm having this vision, 
I'm sort of hand, uh, you know, holding Coyote's hand or something, and you know, just really, really tightly, and just I, I, I think, I think that was that was a girl that uh, that he knew that he he did horrible things to. He brought her back. So how do we stop it next time? Or if there's anything like that again coming at us? I don't like fighting yeah, something no. I can't hit, man. We Maybe kill every something from a church? Beat it yeah. with a cross? I ain't touching one of those. <laughs> or something from your beliefs, Coyote? Ah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to work, but it's better than nothing, ain't it? Mitch said something, right? What did Mitch say? Mitch said, we kill every piece of knob we see. I agree. Yeah, that works too. I like this <laughs> idea. All right, so you guys are, are killing Miles off the road as you slowly uh, roll up in front of basically this this abandoned like tourist hotel that you guys had in Cedar Creek. Basically, like the, the you guys are driving on this blacktop road, and then it becomes eventually starts becoming compact dirt road, and then you turn off into like this. I forgot what they call it, where like it's like a half circle where cars can roll around to the front. You remember there's that huge fountain that's in front of the the hotel that you guys are staying at. You can hear as the car pulls up there. You guys pull up, and then you guys you guys are getting out of the car. Uh, the car, Coyote. You see Jasper sitting uh, like uh, on this bench outside, and at first you're like, "Oh, hey, it's Jasper." Then you see this figure sitting next to him. Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called Weight Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there. High Level Games, the industry's first choice in taking your games to the next level. We are a podcast blog and new media network at highlevelgames.ca. We have blog posts about all of your favorite games going up five days a week and a podcasting network with actual plays and shows that discuss role-playing games with more rolling out all the time. We are on iTunes, Twitch, and YouTube. Find out more information at highlevelgames.ca, a site that certainly isn't controlled by a shadowy board of directors of otherworldly origin. That's highlevelgames.ca. Please, help. They're coming. (laughs) The mission seems simple enough, don't they always? Simple sweep and flush out operation. We loaded them up in a hazmat tanker in Montreal and shipped them to a downtown warehouse in the Valley of the Sun. It would have been in and out in a few nights. Well, we wouldn't be telling the story if it all went as planned, would we? I go ahead and uh, I pop quiet in. 
Alright, yeah, I'm gonna run at him and do a sweet spin kick and knock his head off. We're waiting to see whether or not the Abomination kills us. Shufflehead Chronicles is available on the Critical Hints feed. Search for Critical Hints in iTunes, Google Play, or any other podcatcher. I, I, I don't think this is how... No.